Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless and enjoy this week's message. Ernie's in. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 20. I'm going to kind of bring to close the sermon series called Uncommon. Everybody say uncommon. Uncommon. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 20. And here's how it reads. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter. So we want to, there's a cleansing, a cleansing of the heart, a cleansing of the mind that God wants to do in our lives because He wants to use us for a special purpose. Everybody say special purpose. Then He says this, He says, Those who cleanse themselves, they will be made holy or uncommon, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteous faith. Love peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments on Facebook, probably, because you know that they, are, they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. So what this is, is this is Paul writing to Timothy, the understudy, the successor. This is Paul's last letter. And he says, here's what ministry looks like. Here's what living an uncommon life and having the uncommon effect of a life that's consecrated and pure is going to look like. If you want to do great things, there's a great responsibility that comes with it. We don't just get to do great exploits in His name without consecrating ourselves to the Lord, without seeking a pure heart. And so today I want to talk about this subject of being a vessel of honor and an uncommon vessel. For the Lord's great work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just energize us and teach us here today. Give us some wisdom and understanding and revelation according to your word and your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen, amen. One of the things that happens many times is people get misdiagnosed. With a misdiagnosis, many times they get the wrong prescription. It's not a bad prescription. It's just the wrong prescription. And today I want to hopefully help you diagnose yourself. Because all of us have some proclivities that have to be identified. All of us have the drift. The drift is is that left to our own devices, we will drift into what is easiest for us, what is congruent with our own willful lust and desires. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like there is a natural drift in our own mechanism as humans. In this flesh, there is no good thing. 
That's what the Bible says. There's no good thing in this flesh. That means that if, the, if, if our body is like a car, that means the steering wheel is constantly being pulled to the right. Like if we take our hand off the steering wheel and let the car do what it wants to do, here's what's going to happen. The car is going to go into a ditch. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, I don't want to wreck this car. To Jeremy Sharp in the back, we're going to get some air for people. Jeremy Sharp in the back, we're going to get some air for people. People are falling asleep because it's kind of warm right over there. All right. It's not my sermon. It's the air. Where's Jeremy Sharp? All right. So there's a natural drift, and it's in every one of us. And we have to be, we have to be purposeful about not letting the drift take us where we're not called to go. Right? So Lot had this problem. Remember Lot? He was, he was the nephew of, of Brother Abraham. And so Abraham had a nephew, and Abraham's being blessed, and Lot's being blessed. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. Lot goes, hey, I don't really like um, what's going on here. It's kind of hard for us to stay together. Our, our people are kind of fighting, and, and our stuff is getting in each other's way. And, and, and during a season of strife and suffering, Lot makes a big life decision that would change his life forever. And you should never make a big life decision in the season of struggle, strife, and pain. It's the worst thing you can do. And so Lot's like, hey, we've got to separate. And Abraham's like, look, if you want to do that, that's cool. Do what you got to do. And so he goes, go wherever you want, and I'll go the other way. That's how much Abraham trusted God. I'll go the direction, the opposite direction that you go. And Lot's like, well, I'll take the well-watered plan. I'll go over here. This is really nice. And he goes for what's easy, goes for what's convenient, and he ends up, the Bible says, he pitches his tent towards Sodom, a wicked, wicked city. And so now his attention and his affection is on a place that does not honor God. And before he knows it, he finds himself in that city, a part of that common community that's not uncommon. They're doing what's easy. The Bible says they're doing what's unseemly. And that's where Lot finds himself. Called to be uncommon, but this drift brought him into something that was very common. In fact, so common that, that whatever goes, goes there. It's like whatever, whatever you feel like doing. No lines, no rules. We just do what we want to do. And ultimately what happens, God says, this isn't right, and this ain't going to last. God sends in some angels to get Brother Lot out. And his daughters married two guys from Sodom. And they're like, we're not leaving. We, we like this place. This place is awesome. This is like Vegas all the time. We're not going to stop partying, right? What happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. And that, and, and that was the attitude. And the angel said, that's fine. Sap fingers, everyone goes blind. Ultimately pulls Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out. And as they're going, Lot's wife turns and looks she her she's leaving but her heart is still there and she turns to salt she was the first person assaulted in the bible just kidding terrible joke so they get finally to like this cave long story short lot and his two daughters they get drunk there's incest they produce moab and amon the amalites and the moabites who become enemies of the house of god israel all because of a drift. And it always goes from like here to there. It's like easy. Like, like how, did it, how did it ever go from here to there? How did People will always say, how did we let it go from here to there? And then from here to there. And then from there to there. 
And here's what happens. When you take your hand off the wheel and you stop living with purpose, when you stop living thinking about destiny and destination, there's a bent in us to go off-road, to veer off into the pit, and that pit will either delay or destroy your destiny. Now, if you're here today and you're like, hey, I've made mistakes and I don't want to destroy my destiny, let me tell you, failure's not final. We fall forward, we fail forward, God forgives us, we get back up, we're going to keep going because God's going to put some hope in our heart. So if you're here today and you're like, I have failed, let me tell you, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So if you're here today, this is not about God's love, this is about God's ability to use us in a supernatural, extraordinary way which he's called you to step up, stand out, and to do something radical and awesome for him. But he says, if you're going to do it, you have to purge yourself. You have to cleanse yourself. On the day of Pentecost, after Peter got up and preached, this is what he said. He said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Wait, wait, but Jesus saved me. Yeah, yeah, Jesus saved you from sin, but you have to save yourself from the culture that will keep wearing you down, dragging you down. What's norm? There's a norm. There's common. There's the way that everyone does it. Everyone does it. Everyone acts this way. Everyone's marriage is like this. Everyone's marriage is tough and failing and holding on by a string. Everyone, everyone's in debt. Everyone's living on the edge. Everybody. And that becomes a norm. So socially it's acceptable to 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 the common, live on the earth, not purposeful. And God has called you and he's called me to live a purposeful life. We're going to end up somewhere in life. Why don't we end up somewhere on purpose? Wherever it is we end up, what if we end up there because that's what God put in our hearts and we end up in the place that God has called us to end up. So I want to live a life that's pure because I know that I'm not the only passenger in this car. I'm not the only one who's on this ride. As a leader, as a father, as a pastor, as a husband. Like if I, if I take my hand off the wheel, guess what? If I go in the ditch, the people in my car go in the ditch. And so what he's doing is he's elevating the argument. If you're going to be a, a vessel of honor, if, if you want to see God's best for your life, you're going to have to cleanse the cup. How many here has the same OCD phobia of dirty cups as I do? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody ever been to someone's house and there's smudges everywhere? A little bit of lipstick at the top. And it's a little white light. You cross your fingers, you're like, I'm not thirsty. You may be super thirsty. You're just like, I'm not thirsty right now. And I don't just want the inside of the cup clean. I want the outside of the cup clean, right? I'm one of those people like... I don't even use the top dish, like the top plate. I go to the second one because I don't know what dust boogers are on the top of that plate. I don't know. I don't want to know. I just take the second one and then give my kid the first one. I don't. It's going to help their immune system. And, and basically, God's like this. He's like, I'm not serving the world and the community of believers on dirty dishes. I want, I want your heart to be clean. I want the inside. I want the outside to be clean. And I know that we are saved by grace. 
And I know that when Jesus comes into our lives, the penalty of sin is gone. And then the power of sin through sanctification begins to be broken down. And then one day at the resurrection, the presence of sin will be gone forever in this body and in this earth and in the heavens. The penalty, the power, the presence of sin. And we are a work in progress. And the goal is not, please hear me, the goal is not perfection. I mean, the goal is perfection, but, but like if you're not perfect, that doesn't mean that you're disqualified. What he's looking for is perseverance. I'm not going to submit myself to live a common life. I'm shooting for uncommon. I'm shooting for holy. I'm striving to be like Christ. I'm striving to be a son of God in the earth. The earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. All creation is waiting for sons and daughters to step into their purpose and calling. And so it's a high calling. And so here's here's the, the dilemma. Is that most of the time we have a complex issue And we think the answer has to be complex, right? Like if here's the problem and it's this long equation, sometimes we think that the answer has to be even longer than the problem. They said that all the equations of time, space, string theory can be put on a little card about yay big. It can all be put there. That puts all the rules of the universe can be on a piece of paper. There's more to it. There's more equations and complexities, but... But many times the answer is super simple. Let me give you a story. Uh, Walt Disney. How many love Walt Disney? Walt Disney? Anybody cry watching Bambi? Right, right. I mean, who writes this kind of stuff, right? Like you lose your mom like in the first 20 minutes. I'm a kid. I'm still messed up from that story. Anyways, Mr. Walt Disney put some good stuff out. I mean, I glad that the Marvel world has been purchased by Disney. I like Marvel, and my favorite Marvel is Black Panther. Come on, somebody. Wakanda forever. Anyways, um, my first name is Chadwick. The star's first name is Chadwick, so we're related, if you know what I mean. Cool. And uh, so, so the story of Walt Disney is interesting because Walt ends up like going from Kansas City to L.A., he's got this dream. He's got a rat. He started with a rat because, you know, it was a rat, not a mouse. And Mortimer, the, the rat. And then uh, someone was like, hey, listen, rats are kind of like people don't like rats. So it went to mouse and then went to Mickey Mouse and became some cartoons. And it was silent. And there was some noise and there was some music. And then somehow he scored this opportunity to produce a full feature film in color and in sound, full feature cartoon. It's called Snow White, okay? Snow White. Everybody has uh, Dopey and Sleepy in their life and somebody. But anyways, so Snow White was, and it was $1.5 million budget, and they barely did it. They barely finished, and it grossed like $8 million, like, in, in the, like just being in theaters, and I think it's like 250 or more million in, like since then, um, and, and, there, and probably more if you, you know, inflation, blah, 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 right? So that was the beginning, and he's doing pretty good, so he's... Gets his money and invests. He keeps investing. He keeps making more movies and just doing really well. He gets his mom, gets his dad, and moves them to L.A. and gets them a beautiful home. And, and, and his mom calls the studio and says, hey, Walt, there's a smell in the house. 
a smell. And he goes, well, we'll send over some people from the studio. They'll take a look at it. They went and looked. Yeah, there's some, probably something wrong with the furnace. We'll work on it tomorrow. The next morning, the maid comes. And when she gets there, Walt's parents are both lying dead. They pull him out of the house. They revive the dad, but his, his mother, Flora, is gone. And what it was was carbon monoxide poisoning. Now, you say, that's crazy, I know, but it still happens today. 20,000 people every year are hospitalized near death because of carbon monoxide poisoning. Almost 500, 450 to 500 people a year on average die from carbon monoxide poisoning. And here's the craziest part. 1999 will detect carbon monoxide in your house. And yet people still die in America, this is just America, from carbon monoxide poisoning. Here's the first point. You can't protect if you can't detect. We need to be able to detect what's wrong in our lives. That's the first key. Here's what's wrong with you and I. Are you ready? No amount of training, no amount of teaching will be able to train your flesh in holiness. Your carnal mind and your flesh will always, always, always oppose God. Turn your neighbor, give him a fist bump and say, always. Turn back to him and say, why would you fist bump me? That's not cool. What are you doing? That was a trick. So I'm going to give you some things. And this was, <coughs> this sermon was birthed in the back of a van. Phil, would you stand? I'm going to have you stand. This is the young gentleman who came with me to Africa. Just give him a little hand clap. Now, if I lie, you can stand up kindly and say, that's not true. Okay? You may be seated. This sermon was birthed in the back of a van going from Kampala to Mbale. Okay? This should be, in America, distance, two hours, the nice freeway. Seven hours. And we're not talking about cushy seats. And we're not talking about smooth roads. We're talking about some pretty crazy adventures. Close head-on collisions. Can I get can I get a name? Can I just get a Holy Ghost hooray? We made it. Thank you. Yes, I use King James Holy Ghost right there. And so on these roads, we even had like a whole bus that right in front of us, probably was a few minutes ahead of us, was in a ditch. Was it not in the ditch? We didn't have time to process it. I wanted to get a picture. Didn't. Sounds morbid, but it was for a good cause. And the guy who went into the ditch had people surrounding him, and there was some guy yelling at the driver who's laying there in the ditch with his van. 
bus, kind of a probably 15, 20 passenger bus van, right? And here's what I quickly discovered on our trip from Kampala to Mambale in Uganda is there were no lines in the road. There were no rumble strips in the road. There were no guardrails in the road. There weren't even a lot of rules on the road. So what I'm going to do, this has been inspired through seven hours of agony. A sermon for the next 15 minutes on how to win within. You ready? Here we go. I got a picture for you. I'm going to show you three things that you need to have in your life so you don't end up in a ditch. First, we need a line. This is our lane. Okay? We got a line. Everybody say a line. We'll get to that in a minute. You can't see it because it's not, but this is called a rumble strip here. This is when your wife veers off when she's doing her makeup and you feel that's what the rumble strip is. And then the guardrail. So line, rumble strip, guardrail. Backwards, guardrail, rumble strip, line. Skip it. Line, guardrail, rumble strip. It's all there. And I want to submit this to you, a simple thing that can change your life. If you will apply a line, a rumble strip, and a guardrail in your life, you can make it to your destination safely. How many wants to make it to the destination safely? Okay, so let's talk about lines. Now, our culture hates lines. Lines of demarcation. Don't tell me no. Don't, don't tell me this is right and this is wrong. There's no real right or wrong. It's just moral relativity rules. And if you feel good about doing it, by George, you ought to do it. Cool. I feel good about robbing you right now. Give me all your money. Like, where does that end? And at the end of the day, We've got to make sure that our lines line up with the greatest line, Psalms 119 and 9. How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your... So, hopefully, the line that you draw in your life is connected to the Word of God. Okay, here's... Here's what a line does. A line creates demarcation. There's lines all over the world. We have lines in streets. We have lines in government. We have lines that divide countries. North Korea, South Korea. On one side of a line is a totally different set of freedoms, liberties, laws, jurisdictions. On this one, it's totally different. All by a line. And so when you create a line in your life, here's what you're doing. You are essentially saying yes and no. I'm saying yes and I'm saying no. 
And here's why those go together and they work together in tandem so beautifully. I'll give you the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The two trees that were in the garden. It wasn't one, it was two. God said, tree of life is yours. Yes. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no. If you say yes to the tree of life, you're going to have to say no to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if you say yes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sorry, you're going to have to say no to the tree of life. So what people don't understand is decisions, not desire, decisions determine your destiny. Okay? So by saying no to this, I'm saying yes to this. My note said that there would be a much louder applause right there. Right there. Just kidding. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. All right. Here it is. So I'll give you a couple examples. You can't say yes to a healthy marriage and also say yes to flirting around on the Internet. It just got real. Like, what time is it? <laughs> it got real at 12.20. You can't have both. That's what a line does. I, I say, I want an amazing marriage. So to accomplish that, there's a bunch of no's in my life. Right? You can't have it all. It doesn't work that way. It's like the rule of life. You don't get everything. Our world, the common idea is you can have it all. You can play around, you can mess around, and you can have blessing and happiness. It doesn't work that way. Your yes and your no will determine the destination that you end up at. And I pray that you make decisions while you're in your right mind when you have your scruples together on what that line looks like. Don't make it when you're in pain, when you're in suffering, when you're hurting. Do it in a season of fasting, in a season of study. Get around people who have got some mileage on their odometer and say, how did you end up here? How did, you, how did you get here with your marriage? How did you get here with your ministry? Where's the line that you drew? So then we have the rumble strip. Everybody say rumble. Makes you think of royal rumble. Another 80s. Ultimate Warrior. I wish somebody just loved what I love. <laughs> rumble strips. Here's the crazy thing about rumble strips. Are you, are you ready? Statistics say that when rumble strips are added to any stretch of the freeway or highway, so there's 37,000 fatalities on U.S. highways and freeways every year. When rumble strips are added, it goes down 51%. And it costs $5,000 per mile to install. Would you say that's worth it? 
So whatever half of 37,000 is, okay, 51%, so just a little bit over for all of you people with math OCD. Those lives seem worth $5,000 per mile, right? Like if it can wake me up when I'm falling asleep, if it can help the ladies when they're doing their makeup in the car. Sorry, ladies. I just couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> then let's do the rebel strips. So we've decided, hey, this is the life I want. This is the life I decide not to have. But now there's something I'm going to put in my life <clears throat> that's going to make some noise when I get over the line. When I get out of line, I have a small group. I have some leaders. I have some healthy people, some voices of more, because you know that there's voices of more and voices of less in the earth. There's always going to be someone who's like, keep going. It's cool, man. Do whatever you want. These rules are meant to be broken. Okay? They're usually the ones in the ditch. And misery loves company. Okay? But you need voices that will sound an alarm when you start stepping out of line. Do you have that? Or are you so isolated in your world that no one knows what you're doing? No one can speak up when you're really in need. You're not connected to a group, not connected to a team, not even really connected to a church. You attend, but you're not really a part of a family that can call you on and say, where you been? What's going on? I notice an attitude. It's in your eyeballs. <laughs> What's going on, dude? You need that. I need that. I need a voice. I need leaders in my life. I need, I need people who can, who, who, who's a little bit further down the road <clears throat> who can speak into me whenever I'm getting out of line. And I have that. I have elders and leaders in my life. And I'm thankful for my pastors who have access. They have veto power in my life. They can call me and say, Chad, stop what you're doing. I'm about to ruin the image and the style you're used to. <laughs> and have me, whatever. You have veto power. Speak into my life. I trust you. Now, here's what happens. A lot of you are like, okay, so that's cool. Like, so you'll come up to me after service and be like, hey, pastor, I want, you to, I want you to speak into my life. I just want, like, I need your voice. Cool. Awesome. Let's, let's work this out. You're welcome to have my voice if you will run with me. But I'm not stopping to pamper you, to get you to go. So whatever voice you want in your life, you have to run at their speed. Joshua had Moses' voice because he kept showing up to everything Joshua was doing, Moses was doing. So if you want a voice of a leader, if you want the voice of an elder, get where they are, run their race with them. Jesus says, come on, boys, we're going. But we're not done fishing. You want this, you come. They go. Elijah, Elisha, I'll let you taste it. Um, yeah, that's, I want this more than that. I've got a field, I've got an industry, I've got a business, but I want this more than that. You've got to walk with me. And your name won't be in the pages for many chapters. But you're going to be 
hearing how I teach. I'm going to be a voice for you. Everybody wants like, tell me, I just need a voice. I'm going to tell you, you better work for it. Even like the pros who are the best in whatever they do, right, like have a coach. Even if the coach is not as good as them or wasn't as good as them, everyone has a coach. Best golfers have a coach, someone to inspect what you expect. Everyone needs a voice. And let me tell you the greatest voice. Are you ready? They're not mutually exclusive, but the greatest voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit, who when you get out of line ought to bring some conviction to your heart. You've got the the Bose-canceling headphones on your heart, and you can't hear what the Spirit is saying. Remove those and let the Lord begin to convict you, draw you, speak to you. And guess what? What the Holy Spirit speaks to you, corrects you, directs you, protects you. You'll come to church and be like, all right. He's preaching what the Lord spoke to me this week about. How did that work? I've had husbands like walk up to me like, did my wife tell you? I'm like, I don't know you and I don't know your wife. (laughs) You know, that happens all the time. It's not... It's the Holy Spirit. So you better have these elements because there's going to be a day when you cross the line. And you need, you need someone to cheer you up. You need someone to say, you can get back in the lane. Get back in it. Come on, keep running that race. You need that. And if, you, if you've never been in a small group or you've been in a small group, it's been a long time ago. We had a great small group years ago. It's wonderful. Get in a small group. Don't be too big to be in one. Get in a group. You may get more out of it than you give. You may give more than you get. I don't know. But get in a group. Because we need rumble strips. We need a sound. Because we've got a destination. And we got to get there. Is that okay? All right. Guardrails. Everybody say guardrails. So we got lines. We got rumble strips. We got guardrails. We need to have guardrails. Guardrails are there. And they are, sometimes can be ugly. And they're, there, you hit a guardrail, it's not rumble, it's not over the line, it's like there's going to be some damage to the car. But the damage to the car is way better than the damage to you that would happen if you went over the cliff. Right? I need some guardrails. Because there could be a day when I'm weak. There could be a day when I push those voices back. I need something to keep me from going over that cliff. Because some accidents delay you, and some accidents can be so big they destroy you. And that's not what God wants for you. You need guardrails. What are guardrails? Guardrails are essentially you creating things in your life that keep you from falling into temptation. The Billy Graham rule, have you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists of our time. And he had these rules. He would not get in a car with a woman. He would not have a private meeting with a woman. These were his guardrails. Now, I know some of you are like, what, are women bad? No. The flesh is flesh. It wasn't Billy Graham is afraid of women. Billy Graham is afraid of Billy Graham. I mean, that's like, 
If I could afford it, I'd drop the mic, but I'm afraid it would break. I don't know. <laughs> so that's, that's the game. You need to block it. You need to program your computer with the software that doesn't let you get on past 10 if you have a problem with late-night pornography. You need to tell somebody. You need to talk about it. Super quiet and awkward. <laughs> right? Like, I, I have rules in my life. There are things I don't do. I travel with other people. I don't go down to the hotel bar at midnight. I, there's certain things, like, I don't do. I don't text women late at night and barely during the day if they have a problem and I send them to my wife and I'll meet with you if my wife is there or my wife will meet you. But I'm not going to get in an office with somebody else who has a problem 20 years down the road and says, you there looked at me funny. I don't know. I don't know. You can't say that because it didn't happen. You think that's crazy, but here's the deal. Like, I want the end of my story to be better than the beginning of my story. I want to end up at the right place. So there's some things that I've just decided these are my guardrails, and it may be awkward to you. That's okay, but I've got some precious cargo in the car that I'm not willing to veer off the road and get into a ditch over not doing it. I work really hard at putting some things in my life. You know? And, and it, it, it's, it's complex. There's complexity to it. And whatever your struggle is, like, like if, if you work with finances, awesome. Like, get some people around you at your job who can look over your shoulder. Do your own internal audit. Make sure, like, like guard yourself. Like, put yourself under something. Well, no one's watching. I guess they don't care. No. Like, make yourself accountable to someone who's accountable to you. Who's accountable to God? Like, you got to do it. Well, does it matter? It may not. But it could save your soul and save your life, help you get down the road. Even with gossip. Like, that's the new thing, right? Is like, oh, yeah, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't, da, 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 da. but like gossip, like getting infuriated on social media, responding. With hostility back in an email, what if you were to take, this is my practice, not that I get a ton of hate mail, just one or two a week, but <clears throat> sit on it. Because what you say three minutes after reading it and what you say three days after reading it are totally different. Guard rails. So I was, had a layover in Belgium, and if you're Belgium here, um, thank you for your chocolate. <laughs> thank you. So I was in Belgium a couple days ago, and I'm on the train. So my suitcase is, it's a medium-sized suitcase, and there's this, on the train, there's a little place to put your suitcase, but my suitcase is too big, because everyone has small little bags. I have a large bag. I just got back from Africa. Don't judge me, okay? So I've got my big bag, and I have it in my, with, like, 
with me in my seat here. And so there's some people that get on the train, and they're like, and it's like two couples, right? Probably 55, 60. And they see me, and they're like, they don't like that I have my bag with me. I don't know what the alternative is. Hold it above my head. I don't know. They're like, and then I heard, stupid America. And I'm telling you, the Jason born inside of me wanted to do a kung fu ninja to the... God. I think it gets better. So then, like, they're, like, giving me looks like, I don't know what they're saying. I just keep hearing, Americans, lappy. And then finally it was, like, this is, this is the final one. They were, like, Trump, blah, 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 blah. I was just kidding. I, I, I have no fight, you know. I'm, like, <clears throat> I'm just, like, so... Like, I want to stand up and just be like, listen, do you remember World War II when we came and saved your hide? That's what was in me. That's what I wanted to say. I was like, no, we've practiced this. We practice when someone breaks into your brain and tries to do inception, you stop and you fight it. And so I took like 30 seconds. I'm going to count to 30 and I counted, and I was like, because they just kept going. And, like, people started, like, looking around the train. They were look, looking at me like, <laughs> American. And it's like, I'm like, what did, am I in, like, is there, is there a camera? Like, am I on camera here? And so I just started like, okay. And I started counting in, like, different languages. I don't know different languages. But I was like, blue, je blanc, I can schleichen, reichen, I can. I was like doing everything I could just to like confuse my brain for a little bit. And so like 30 seconds later, I was finally like, all right, I don't need to say anything. And they kept going. And I just sat there and stared as like for like 15 minutes. I just, point, American. Point, American. And I was like, if the church could see me now. They'd be so proud of me. (laughs) But in me, if I take my hand off the steering wheel, that steering wheel would turn and Kung Fu Panda would come out and do bad stuff. But I was able to, like, remember the guardrail. And there was the line, like, this is not, this is the line I don't cross. And I... And I know it's silly and funny, but the truth is, is like, if you don't have these, like, you will find yourself in a ditch. Here's why. And hear me clearly. You are not strong enough. In fact, Peter, being with Jesus for three and a half years, Jesus said, Satan has come to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed. I've prayed. I want to tell you, the day of your weakness does not have to be the day of your destruction. 
I'm going to give you this study, and then we're going to close. 1996, a study was done at, at uh, Case Western University by uh, a guy named Ray Bymeister, or, or Bymeister. And he did a study with 67 people in a big, large room. He divided them in two. Don't ex- I don't know how you divide 67 by two. He cut someone in half, maybe, but spread them into two groups. And the, the room was, like, wafting with, like, wonderful smells of hot chocolate cookies. And there was one group that was invited to eat the cookies and one group that was told not to eat the cookies but had to eat radishes. And this happened for, like, 30 minutes. I mean, you and I would both be like, how do I get on the other team, right? And, and that was, like, I think 20 or 30 minutes they had to resist. They had one guy on the radish side who walked over and, like, got a cookie and was, like, looking at it and smelling it and, like, hoping something would fall off on his tongue. And so finally, like, after 20, 30 minutes, the professor comes in, Roy comes in, and he says, okay, here's, a, here's an equation I'm going to give each of the groups to do on these separate boards, and I want you to figure out the answer to this equation. They didn't know that there was no answer to the equation. And this was a study about willpower. One group had used more willpower, and one had used less. And he wanted to see if there was a difference in how long it would take for each group to give up, because there was no answer. The first group lasted like nine minutes, and they were, one guy was like throwing over a seat, and they were like frustrated and mad. The other group was trying, and they went like double, triple the time, and finally were like, maybe there's not an answer. Long story short, the whole study showed this, is that willpower is not a skill that you learn. It's like a muscle, which means the more you use it, the more tired it gets. That's why by the end of the day, when you've been in bumper-to-bumper traffic to work, back from work, we can see it in your eyes. A little snippy at home. Right? Willpower. You use it up. You use it up. That's why, do you know that, that most cases of infidelity happen at night? With executives who've been at work all day, tired, mind, physically, and their willpower is down, failure goes up. And here's all I'm saying. I'm telling you this, that on the day of your weakness, you need a line, you need a rumble strip, and you need a guardrail. Why? Because you have a destination and a destiny in the kingdom of God. Make your life matter. Would you stand?